Jesus' name, amen, amen. I'm going to start this, more, uh, this evening in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, verse of scripture that we're all familiar with, or at least should be. God is instructing Joshua on how to f- follow in Moses' footsteps and take over the leadership of the children of Israel. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Now, the book of the law is all that they had of the Old Testament. It's talking about the, it was the entirety of the word of God at that time. So let's read it this way. This word of God shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now notice he talks about the, uh, the word of God not departing out of your mouth. That's instructing us to say the word of God over and over and over again. Meditating in the word is speaking the word, muttering the word, confessing the word. doesn't have to be out loud where everybody else can hear it, but it does need to be something that you can hear yourself speak. And notice the results. He says, thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. James said to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Here's the result. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. One translation says thou shalt be able to deal wisely in the affairs of life. Well, you couldn't have too much success if you didn't deal wisely in the affairs of life, could you? So it's talking about success. It's talking about having the wisdom. Here's God imparting his wisdom for us to partake of in our daily lives. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs that wisdom is the principal thing. First and foremost, wisdom is the principal thing. Proverbs is all about instruction and wisdom. The Bible indicates to us that the wisdom of God is available not only in our Christian life and our Christian walk, but that it's available to us in the marketplace. It says, by wisdom, kings rule and princes reign. So it tells us that wisdom, the wisdom of God, is available for us in business affairs and in matters of government. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Say it, speak it over and over and over again to yourself. Now I want you to, um, uh, to go with me to James chapter 1. Beginning in verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The word temptation there means test, trial, or affliction. It means hard places or adversities. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now notice verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now he goes from talking about asking specifically for wisdom to receiving anything from the Lord. In other words, the prayer of faith or asking in faith is a prerequisite and is a criteria for receiving anything or everything from the Lord. But this seems to, this verse 5 about lack, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That seems to contradict what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says that Christ is made unto us wisdom and sanctification and righteousness and redemption. So it's saying that Jesus has already been made unto us wisdom. But here's James is talking about asking for wisdom. 
there are no contradictions in the Bible, so there has to be an explanation for the difference in these things. And that seems to be, uh, seems to lend itself to the understanding that when James is talking about, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally, the context that he's speaking of is in the middle of trouble. When you're in a hard place, test trial or adversities, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, whatever hard place you're in, whatever difficulty or adversity you're in, it's okay to ask God for wisdom, specific wisdom about how to handle that situation. That doesn't contradict what, the, what Paul said by the Holy Ghost, that Christ was made unto his wisdom. And it doesn't contradict what Joshua said or what God said to Joshua, actually, about meditating in the Word of God to make your way prosperous and to have good success or to deal wisely in the affairs of life. Here's why that's important, folks. God's never going to tell you to do something by prayer that can only be done through the Word. James seems to be saying that wisdom is something that God doles out dropperful by dropperful based on the situations that we're in or the circumstances that we're encountering. But the Bible says, and Jesus confirmed this, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He said the same thing that food is to the natural body, the word of God is to our spirits. And the word of God is the only way we can uh, build ourselves in the wisdom of God. As I said, the Bible says that wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, with all thy getting, get understanding, Proverbs says. Well, what is wisdom? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, the first and foremost thing that we need to do is give the Word of God a place in our lives that's first and foremost. I'll remind you of John chapter 8, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, their believers, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. He makes a distinction between believers and disciples. Disciples continue in the word. Believers start off at the same place that disciples do, but disciples take a step further and base their lives or build their lives on the truth of the word. So he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Folks, I want you to realize that the truth is the only thing that can make you free and keep you free. We live in a time, and we're experiencing something unlike anything that the, in the history of man certainly greater than anything that we've faced in our lifetimes where there's a lot of fear being generated by the media and by the medical community itself to try to control us or to give control and liberty that we have and have enjoyed for hundreds of years to give that liberty away. Well, one thing about wisdom is that wisdom will help you see what's right. Wisdom helps you see what's true. Wisdom helps you see what God says about things rather than what the devil says or what you're hearing in the world. The fear tactics that have taken place over this coronavirus are unknown to our generation. It's a different situation than any of us have ever encountered. And it's going to take wisdom to recognize what's true. You know, the devil always comes to you and, uh, well, there's a, a scene in a movie. I don't even remember the name of it. Um, but Arnold Schwarzenegger is acting as a substitute teacher. He works for the FBI or something like that. 
and he's taking the role of a substitute teacher, teacher of second grade kids or something like that. And he was having a stressful day because he couldn't control the kids. And so he was rubbing his nose or his temples or whatever. And some kid came up to him and, and asked him what was wrong. And Schwarzenegger said, my head hurts. And the little kid said, maybe it's a tumor. Well, that's the way the devil always operates. He tells you a, a, a stub in your toe is the end of the world. He tries to make you afraid of any and every little thing that there is. And he tries to dictate your future through fear. Folks, we shouldn't let anybody dictate our future because our future has not been written in stone. Your future has not been determined yet. Now, it may be that somebody's on a course that if they continue that course, we can predict what, where they'll end up. But you can always change your future. You can always change and, and alter things through the Word of God primarily to bring you to a different outcome. But the devil wants to make you think that he knows everything about you, present, past, and future. He wants to make you think that he has control so that he can dictate your future, but nobody can dictate your future. We've got a lot of half-truths and some outright lies that are taking place regarding this coronavirus. And a lot, of time, a lot of the medical community is trying to dictate our futures to us by the claims that they make. But folks, doctors aren't infallible. In fact, the number one mortality rate, the thing that kills more Americans every year than anything else is heart disease. The second highest category, the thing that causes the second most deaths is cancer. You know what the third one is? The third one is medical uh, error. It's called allopathy. It means death by medicine. The third highest number, the third greatest killer in America today is medical mistakes. Now, I dare say that, that not a one of those mistakes were made willingly or knowingly. I'm not against doctors. Thank God for all the good they can do. But no matter how much they are trying to do the right thing, they don't have all the answers. And we're hearing a lot of information about disease and medicine and so forth to make us believe that things are going to be a certain way down the road. Well, even if it is that way for other people, for the world, it doesn't have to be that way for us. If we continue in the Word and become disciples of Jesus, or maintain our discipleship in Jesus. Then we'll know the truth. And the truth will make us free. Knowledge is the antidote of the vaccine for ignorance. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people perish for a lack of knowledge. doesn't say my people perish because they're wrong-hearted or have the wrong motives. It says they perish for a lack of knowledge. Well, where are we going to get the knowledge of the truth? The Word of God is the only place it's available. It's absolutely the only place that's available. I'll remind you of Daniel chapter 1. It tells us about the three Hebrew children and Daniel. That there were four of them. But three of them go on to challenge um, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar and the fiery furnace. But when they're taken captive, these four Hebrew children... Asked the 
the prince of the eunuchs, the dean of the schools they were in, so to speak, that they not violate their conscience by eating the things that were contrary to the law of Moses. Well, the prince of the eunuchs is afraid. He, he likes these guys. They found favor in his eyes. But he's afraid of the results if he withholds the food that they're talking about that violates the law of Moses. And so they struck a deal with him and said, give us pulse and water. I don't know what pulse is, maybe oatmeal or something like that. But he said, give us pulse and water for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, if we seem to be weak or sickly or uh, less healthy than the others, then we'll go back to, and follow your rules or whatever you say. And so he agreed to that. And so at the end of the 10 days, it says Daniel and the three other guys looked healthier and fairer in flesh than any of the rest of them. And so they got to eat pulse and water for the entirety that they were in the school. But it says in verse 17, Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, what does eating pulse and drinking water have to do with a greater skill or a greater level of wisdom? They're all learning the same things in the school. They're all participating in the same classes. What does the pulse and water really have anything to do with their appearance or their health? How would pulse and water make them appear healthier in flesh than the people that were eating the other things? Folks, there doesn't have to be a direct correlation to the action that's taken, but the action that counts is that which puts God's word first and foremost in your life. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now notice there's a discovery process. It's life to those that find the word of God. How do you find the word of God? How do you receive the health to all your flesh through the word? By doing what he said in verses 20 and 21. Attend unto the words. Put the word of God first place in your life. Let God have the final say so in everything that you encounter. Incline your ear to his sayings. We're going to hear a lot of different things. And a lot of the things that we hear aren't true. Or at least they don't have to be true for us. So incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. Keep yourself in eyesight. Or choose to look on what the Bible says is going to be your result or your outcome or your future rather than what the devil tells you it's going to be. Don't let it depart from your eyes and keep it in the midst of your heart. He's talking about meditating the word just like he told Joshua. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. When we find the word of God, when we put it first place in our lives, that's when we come to the place where we find the word and it becomes health to all of our flesh. Folks, there is no way that you can overemphasize the importance of living every aspect of your life according to the word. There's just no way you can overemphasize that. We know the story of David, how that when he went down to the battle where his brothers were encamped with the army of Israel, Goliath would come out and challenge the armies of Israel he said, send me a champion 
if your champion beats us, beats me, then we'll serve you. But if I beat him, then you become our slaves. And everybody was afraid of this guy because of the threats that he would make. And folks, that's just exactly the way the devil does in every area of life. He'll try to bring up some kind of circumstance that looks to be bigger than anything that anybody's ever encountered before. And then he makes threats about what he's going to do or how he's going to mistreat you, how he's going to assail or attack you. But David wasn't afraid. David wasn't afraid of his threats. He wasn't afraid of his size. Well, when word got back to King Saul, he brought David in before him, and David told him that he'd go out and fight Goliath. And so Saul tried to put his armor on him, but the Bible tells us that Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else in height, so certainly his armor wouldn't fit David, who was just a young boy, probably 17 years old. And David told him, I can't go with this armor. I don't know how to fight with this. He said, I haven't proved it, but that's what he means. He means he hasn't learned to fight with armor. And then he tells a story that we would not have record of otherwise if it hadn't been for the story of David and Goliath. He tells about when the bear came and took one of the flocks, one of the sheep of his flock, father's herds. He went after the bear and killed the bear and brought the sheep back to safety. And then another time a lion came out. Now, I don't know how big or how bad Goliath was, but I imagine a lion or a bear, either one could have taken him. But here's the point. David put his responsibility of keeping his father's sheep. He put that, made that a matter of integrity. And so he went out against certainly what would seem to be impossible odds against a bear and against a lion. But he found that because God was with him, he was able to defeat both of them. So he's looking at Goliath as no big thing. He's already prepared himself. He's already found the saving power of God to such a degree that he didn't have to be afraid of anything. Folks, think about that. He knew God so well as a teenager that he knew he didn't have to fear anything because God was on his side. Man, I wish we had that kind of confidence in God. We experience some things on different levels, perhaps, and develop some measure of confidence. But for a young boy like that, that's pretty unusual. So he goes out against Goliath, and he does exactly what he promised he'd do because God is with him. And he told Goliath, first and foremost, Goliath cursed him by his gods. And David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. He knew God was his help. He knew God was his provision. He conquered fear to such a degree that he didn't have to be afraid of anything. I'm sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's the way God wants it to be for us too. We saw in Daniel chapter 3 where those three Hebrew children refused to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And so Nebuchadnezzar heard their boldness. He asked, what God is it that will deliver you out of my hand? And they said, well, our God, the God of Israel, will deliver us out of your hand. If you throw us in the fiery furnace, he'll save us. Well, that made Nebuchadnezzar insanely angry. 
And so he ordered the furnace to be warmed up, heated up seven times hotter than ever before. It was so hot that the strongest man in his personal guard was killed trying to throw him in because he got close to the door. But these three Hebrew children walked around. Their ropes had burned off their hands. And they were walking with a fourth man. And Nebuchadnezzar apparently was able to see into the furnace in some way or another. And he said, that fourth one looks like the Son of God. It says they came out and there was no harm to their bodies, neither was there the smell of smoke on their, in their clothes. Now, how did they prepare for being thrown into a fiery furnace? I don't think you can prepare for that, folks. But they were able to operate without fear and to see the salvation of the Lord. How'd they do that? It had to be through meditating in the Word. It had to be through putting first things first. They had to have come to the place where they realized that they were God's representatives to the greatest and most powerful king on the face of the earth at that time. Paul said something similar when he wrote to the Hebrews. He said, the Lord will never forsake me so that I may know that he's on my side. He'll never leave me nor forsake me so that we need not fear. And we can say, just as Paul said, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man will do unto me. But we can say the same thing about sickness and disease. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what sickness and disease do. I will not fear any virus. I will not fear any disease. I will not fear any germ or any bacteria. Because the Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? What can this world do unto us? Because we've got God on the inside of us. Folks, wisdom is the principal thing. First and foremost, above all else. And there are benefits to wisdom. It says length of days is in its right hand. And riches and honor is in its left. So there are benefits to wisdom. But I think the greatest, the greatest benefit of them all is to know that God is on our side so we don't have to be afraid of anything or anybody. God made these, three, these four, Daniel plus the other three kids, he made them wiser than their instructors. He gave them wisdom because they were willing to put the word of God first place. Are we willing to do the same? Folks, I've been so encouraged by hearing reports and testimonies from people in our church that found that they had something they didn't know they had. When they were faced with somebody else that was in fear, they were able to comfort them. They were able to help them. And that's the way that it should be. I think for many years, maybe too many years, we've gotten come to the place where we think that church is just inside the building. Well, church is anywhere but inside the building now. But we have the strength that the, that the Bible tells us we do. We have the ability to be a help and a comfort to so many people. We have the opportunity to see God's word come to pass as we act on it. We've heard it enough. It's time to act on it. We need to look for people that we can help. We keep seeing these reports, news reports, and so forth 
of how people are depressed and depression statistics are going through the roof and suicide hotlines calls are up 300% and that kind of thing. And they attribute it to the lockdown. We can help those people. We can be a strength to them. We can show them that you don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be afraid of the virus. We don't have to be afraid of the lockdown. We don't have to be afraid of unemployment. We don't have to be afraid of anything because God's word takes care of us. And I personally believe that it's going to have a bigger impact on the world when they see somebody living it rather than just hear somebody like me talk about it. Wisdom never was intended to be hidden under a bushel. Wisdom was always meant to operate freely in the marketplace and among people in the world. The Bible talks about making Israel jealous. The church making Israel and the world jealous. I think it's time for that. I think it's time that they see what we really believe. What we really believe is not just what we say, but what we live in our lives in front of them. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this thing's going to go. It's certainly different than anything we've ever seen or known of before. But I do know this. I do know that God brings his people out on top. I do know that our prayer is way more effective than we might know that it is. I do know the importance of not giving up no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what the president says, no matter what the governor says, no matter what anybody else says, God said he is with us and will never leave us or forsake us. I want to encourage you folks as you deal with everyday affairs and the things that you have to do, look for people that need help. They're all around us now. And as we find them, and just share a simple truth, just let them know that you're not afraid. A lot of times that's enough to get them encouraged. Just let them know that you're not afraid. Let them know that there's nothing to fear. There's no sickness or disease that has to be your future. Your future can change just by simply quoting the word and holding fast to it. Paul said in the last days perilous times will come. He said men will wax worse and worse. We're seeing that take place all around us. But he also talked about the triumph of the church. He said Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. We've been praying for the glory of God to be seen and known for a long time. And I thank God for anything that he has planned or anything that he chooses to do to manifest his glory in the church, within the church, talking about in church services or whatever. But the glory of God certainly needs to be seen out in the streets too. One thing about the day of Pentecost, when the 120 were in the upper room and the Holy Ghost fell on them and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, they spilled out into the street. They didn't have to. 
They could have stayed in the upper room and just marveled at one another as this miraculous event took place. But it says that they immediately spilled out into the streets. Well, the church is spilling out into the streets again now. We've got a very similar situation. Very similar circumstance. What are we going to do when we're out there? Show people the strength that you have through the word. Show people that they don't have to be dictated to by fear. They don't have to live afraid. Show them that God wants them to be free. If you continue in my word, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Thank God for the freedom that we have in him. Let's pray. Father, we magnify your holy name. We thank you for the strength that you've given us through your word. Because your word is the power of God to save and deliver, to rescue, to make safe and to heal. I thank you, Father, that you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And as we put your word first place in our lives and choose to build our lives on the foundation of your word, folks, I know, Lord, I know that the people that are listening and watching this program, by and large, have been acting on your word and putting your word first place for years and years of their lives. We thank you, therefore, for the fruitfulness that standing on your word brings. Not only do you see us through, not only do you provide for us, not only do you bring healing to our bodies and maintain divine health through the confession of our mouth, but Father, I thank you that you enable each and every one of us to share that strength, to show others that are fearful that there's a better way to live. Father, we thank you for manifesting your glory through your church in these last days. Father, in one place you said, as truly as you live. In other words, it's an unchanging eternal principle. The whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of your glory. Let that be in our day, Father. And let us have a part of that. Let it be through us too. Lord, we love you. We thank you for seeing us through. We thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. And so we say along with Paul, having the same spirit of faith, we speak the same things that he spoke and declare that the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man will do unto me. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you equipped us with your own Holy Spirit that we might walk worthy of you and do all pleasing, that we might do the works of Jesus, that we might glorify the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in that wonderful name that we pray. Amen.